Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Jordan trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move! Against Gil, the crowd on its feet. Allen for the win! To the Sneaker History Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sneaker History Sports Podcast. I'm Robbie, sitting here with my friend Rowett. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, Robbie. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, Just really kind of marinating in the James Harden comments on Giannis. Sure. From last week, or I guess... Depending, here's a big question about people. Does your week start on Sunday or does your week start on Monday? Hmm. I'm of the opinion that your week officially starts on Monday because Sunday is considered part of the weekend. Is Uh, it not? See, I consider Sunday a part of like like the first day of the new week. I split up the weekend. I like that though. It happened last week, but you would say it happened this, I mean, this week still, because Sunday is still last week. I mean, I also look at it from the John Oliver perspective of he always does last week tonight. And because his show's on Sunday night, I'm thinking he's including everything leading up to the moment of his show recording. But uh-huh. I do like this idea of splitting up your week. To, so Sunday is your start. And then I'm assuming Saturday night is your end. Business Maybe that's what the, the good front. Lord would want. Business in the front, party in the back. I do appreciate a good mullet reference when you can work one in there. So thank you for that, Robbie. When you get your good work done, like your chores and stuff done on Sunday, you have fun. You had fun the day before on Saturday. Um, and we're going to have fun here talking about what James Harden said about Giannis and kind of our thoughts on what type of players fall into the categories of skilled or just gifted naturally. So before we take a deep dive into that, um, what are you rocking, man? What we are a little bit of a shoe podcast still. So, like, what, what's been on the feet of Rowett? Uh, the feet of Rowett. That's a really good question. I had date night with my wife and one of her coworkers, which is very important because she had moved to Portland about two years ago. And one of the uh, goals I had for her was she should have her own friends because I think it goes a long way in making somebody feel like they're at home. So I was really happy that she scheduled a date night with one of her best friends at work. So I brought out the black and gray cement threes. Uh, prior to that, I've been using my Kobe 7 Christmas editions as my beaters. I think the last three or four times I've run into you, Robbie, I'm always wearing those. So I realized I needed to step my game up a little. How about yourself? I appreciate that, though. That's a shoe that gets a lot of shine now, but for many years. Like, oh, it's kind of weird. But uh, I love it. I've always loved that shoe. Um, I mean, yesterday I wrote, I wrote, I wore the Yeezy 500 Salts. So. Ooh. You would think I'm on team James Harden, but I am surely anti-Harden. 
this thing in three stripes wise in terms of the conversation we're about to have. Right. Because the day before that, I wore, no, earlier that same day, I switched shoes yesterday. I wore the pair of Air Max Tailwind 4 Retros. So I went like Nike and Adidas. Kind of like the same deal we're dealing with here. Mm-hmm. Same deal we're dealing with. Like I'm a, <laughs> trying to think of a I was going to say, I feel like that was probably on the cutting room floor of that Fort Minor song, Remember the Name, because I, I can picture J.J. Watt rapping along to that while he's flipping a tire uh-huh. and proving to all of us how beastly he is. But yeah. Thank you for reminding us that that's a band or was a band. Listen, Mike Shinoda did not have that side project for us to casually forget about it. So I'm here for that. I'm very here for that. That's some that's some good bad stuff. Um, but I very much enjoy it. Let's just get right to the business then. We have. I'm going to say it's going to turn into a fairly lengthy conversation just to give people an idea of what they're getting themselves into. We're going to be breaking down. I guess we should just start with the quote from James Harden. He happened to say this about Giannis. When I'm. When it's all said and done, they'll appreciate it more in terms of his skill, his playmaking, all that stuff. But I wish I could just be seven sure. feet, run, and dunk. That takes no skill at all. I've got to actually learn how to play basketball and have skill. I'll take that any day. And then ESPN's Rachel Nichols responds, Do you think in the end a title is going to give you the respect you deserve? And James Harden says, Yeah, it is, and I will get it. So... There's two parts to dissect there because mm-hmm. it's a full-fledged jab at what I think is – it's not cool to take a jab at Giannis yet just because he was like what, like one of the last picks in like this, you know, first round. It's a real, a real shot. He's going to be that. fine for sure, especially considering James Harden's pedigree because I think James Harden was number three overall. But exactly. I also think it's one of those things where – and I think you touched on this earlier, Robbie. I forgot whether it was on mic or off where – Giannis has essentially won one MVP directly over James Harden. And I also think James Harden might be the least liked player of his era, while Giannis right now seems to be the most liked. So I do think there's a little bit of personal resentment there. But Everybody loves a come-up story. It's like literally Giannis is living the American dream. Absolutely. So to speak. And I mean, so was James Harden too. Not to say that like coming up out of Los Angeles and you know taking care of everybody in your life and getting to play basketball for a living isn't the American dream. That's not fair either. But um, to say or to insinuate that it just takes being seven feet tall and being able to run fast and dunk really hard is what gets you to like an elite level. And to a point, Giannis is at the same level that James is at. So (laughs) what is he saying about himself? If he's just saying, oh, that's all it takes. But like, well, then what is it? "Quote unquote," all it takes for you if you two are at the same championship list, MVP level status. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where, given the circumstances of the last time we saw both of them share a court, we saw James Harden pass an open layup to find a corner three. So, does James Harden have the ability to truly run and dunk? and make things look easy because he made life a lot harder for himself and continue that narrative that he's not necessarily somebody we would want to have on our team as a clutch player. Ironic considering their mascot is also named clutch, which I think is the great irony of the Houston Rockets fandom. But going back to it, 
right? Yeah, it's really funny to me. And that his whole argument is predicated around the fact that Giannis seems to have only these physical skills that have established his credibility as a basketball player. I look at it also from a perspective of I'm a big soccer fan and this concept of whether a player is skilled or not in a soccer sense always comes back down to how does the player in question handle the ball? Can they handle it in terms of a lot of tricks to get by people? Are they just great at keeping possession, but keeping things very pedestrian, just looking for the easy passing option every time. And it's one of those things that both you and I have seen Giannis live. I would say this, on the surface, it looks very easy to say Giannis runs, dunks, and repeats. But as somebody that's 5'8", 6'2", by Indian standards, I can never dream of dunking. But I imagine it takes a lot out of you. So I don't necessarily agree with him in that sense. I surely do not. And it's harder, it's harder and harder to say once you're at their level that you exclusively are just one. Is, is Giannis the best passer? No. Is he the best outside shooter? No. But he understands so many other facets of the game that makes a positive impact. Like the biggest one is being defense. Like that's probably James Harden's biggest knock is that he doesn't play defense other than the questionable clutch gene. But we have Giannis who not only blocks shots, but makes tremendous deals with his length and alters shots at the rim in a basketball landscape where everybody switches on all five positions on the screen and roll. Giannis mm-hmm. can switch on to anybody and give somebody a fit. So like we will, we'll dive into here in a moment about what those kind of skill sets, what they fall under when we try to categorize them under skill, whether it's talent or whether or not it's kind of like a mixture of both. I had one question before we move on to that. Do you also think a lot of James Harden's criticisms are the fact that, to your point, Robbie, the things that he's most maligned for are the areas of Giannis's game where he excels at? And it's also kind of going back to this ideology of this new generation does things a little bit differently. And one thing that's been refreshing, especially about Giannis in particular, is the fact that he does have that throwback mentality of he's not trying to be buddy-buddy before the game. He is out to kill people. He doesn't want to do the collaborative workouts over the summer. Not to say either way is right or wrong, but it stands out in a positive way. Do you think there's also more to it? Because I think similar to this quote coming out, I also watched the corresponding videos where we've seen kind of this festering of an animosity between the two bubble up. I think one of Giannis's first games against Houston, he had a skirmish with James Harden. James Harden pushed him. Larry Sanders came out of nowhere, almost started a fight. And ever since then, the seeds of discontent have been planted. And this was a the comment that James Harden made was obviously a culmination, but this is also one of the secret things that I love most about the NBA that I don't think any other league has, which is the pettiness and the squabbles between players that come out of nowhere, but then they're so all encompassing and so interesting in a sense that we don't get this in any other sport. And I think that's why the league is the best league in the world. It's not going to be backed up by any sort of visual metrics where the NFL may have more uh, eyes on it during any given game. Soccer is obviously a bigger global impact, even though basketball is keeping up. But 
it's just something more personal, but I like how you use this whole framework to say, let's have this skilled con comp- uh, sorry, skilled conversation. So it's a fantastic callback because isn't that what a lot of old heads complain about? Like the buddy buddy stuff. And these two taking jabs at each other is just old school 80s and 90s basketball, early 2000s. Pretty much once hand checking went away, got a little softer. So having this, I'm not your buddy, pal, I'm not your pal, friend type relationship between these two players is just fun. Like you don't have to get along with everybody. I saw... I think it was Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell after the Celtics jazz game. They both put up like 35 plus points and they were just like, buddy, they were dabbing it up. They was having a good time. Like not that you can't have your friends, but like you just got beat. Like you should kind of feel some kind of way. Um, there's admiration there. There's no Rachel Nichols interview smack talking, but just the fact that, Across the league, there's jersey swaps, and everybody's just happy. It's like in youth sports where, like, you got your kudos bar, you have to stand in a line and walk past the other team and go, good game, good game, good game, you know? Um, But just the killer instinct or, like, the me versus you, I want to be better than you mentality is really kind of fallen out of favor. So it's really cool to see it. It's exactly what we had alluded to, to in a previous episode. It's the dog. More often than not, a lot of the NBA players are now pussycats. And it's refreshing and a little startling to see somebody take that narrative and say, you know what? I don't buy into it. Rigatoni's offended by you. Listen, Rigatoni and Billy, that's, that's the hype house. or That was something I learned about recently, the hype house, where which kind of goes back to all the TikTok invasions we saw over All-Star Weekend. But that is the first time I've truly felt like I'm an old-ass man watching a game that's slowly passing me by. But that's neither here nor there. It's Yeah, especially it's neither here nor there for us. I don't get it completely either. But before we kind of go on and we low-key grill James Harden, Oh, I mean, probably a little bit more. It's a, he's a beautiful player to watch. I'm actually going to see him for like the third time in my life this coming week or next week or something. Uh, I'm and also at that game. I think tonight. it's the, yeah. I think it's the 15th, but that's not important. But um, he's just so, everybody hates somebody that's figured out a way to manipulate the rules without breaking them. Nothing he ever does. I mean, Every NBA player does illegal stuff in the NBA games. It's just a fact of the matter. But um, he doesn't do anything that nobody else hasn't figured out yet. He's just done it better and fine-tuned it to the point where every time he goes to the rack, it's it's going to be a call. Just because he understands body and he understands his body and impact. And whether to do like a swoop layup or over the top, he just understands every facet of the game so well that it annoys other people that aren't James Harden fans does not mean he's a bad player does not mean we particularly hate him just it's so damn conniving it feels like on the other side of the fence it's hard to watch and be like oh yeah I love that when he put 40 up against you with nine assists 
and you're frustrated at the calls. Oh, absolutely. I think it is a very conflicting narrative to watch that guy play because to your point, he has amazing vision. And I think that's something that gets lost in all of James Harden evilness is he's a transcendent passer. I think the most appropriate metaphor for him is the fact that he is the basketball equivalent of card counting. He operates on the margins. He knows when to manipulate the margins to meet what he needs. But it's also a nice marriage of the system that he's been a part of since he joined Houston. I don't think he would have gone full heel like this had he been traded to Denver or some other team. I think it truly is the perfect match for him. And I think he's the one player that we're going to go point back to in years from now where we're going to say this one player was the one that encompassed all of the different narratives that took place during the times of 2012 to, let's say, 2022, where he's the poster boy of the analytics movement. He's the poster boy of always pulling up for three or taking a layup. He's the poster boy of manipulation to draw fouls because it's been determined that the best shot after a three-pointer is a foul shot. So he is interesting player to watch. He is fun at times. He's infuriating. But I don't think we would have it any other way because he is also the villain we desperately need right now. It's a great thing that you brought up that James Harden is a prolific passer. He's not like a magical craftsmen of the past like other point guards but when russell westbrook was going on his triple double season long tirade of averaging one james harden was right up there with him putting up like 50 and 40 point triple doubles so that doesn't accidentally happen multiple times in a season over multiple seasons like sure he operates in the margin of the scoring but from a traditional, I don't I almost don't really want to call it traditional sense because of the point you brought up earlier of him passing up a layup for the pass to three. But in modern NBA, James Harden makes every pass that you need him to, including the flashy ones. So, yeah, def, definitely can't say that he because to Giannis's Giannis's comments about James Harden came from during the all-star draft Giannis said he wanted somebody who would pass the ball more. So he drafted Kemba Walker instead of James Harden, which I'm obviously Giannis isn't paying attention to the NBA assist leaders or ranking amongst players all that closely in that situation. But James Harden is top 10 in passing. And I believe Kemba Walker is like 36 there in that ballpark. No, so, I mean, I was also going to say Kemba is probably the person with the second most record. Oh, I take that back. Maybe Luca as well. But Kemba is definitely somebody that I wouldn't necessarily point to as a pass, for, pass first point guard. The thing that struck me about Giannis's comments in terms of the context was I think the fact that our image of James Harden, whenever we close our eyes and picture him, is he's standing at the top of the key and he's dribbling the air out of the basketball because he's waiting for the situation to unfurl in front of him. And that's something I've read a lot about and listened to a lot of podcasts where the truly great players are the ones that can read and react to a game. You and I, when we play basketball, we may be able to see that reaction, but it might be too late. More often than not, James Harden is making the pass that starts a chain of events that leads to the reaction that he wants. So he is a scientist in that way. But I also think Giannis is one of those players where he's most efficient, especially on the offensive end, when he's on the move and he gets the ball on the move. 
And we're so used to James Harden and his teammates all kind of stagnating, waiting for James Harden to make his move. And then everybody counters to that move where Mm -hmm. I get his concern. But I also think James Harden reacting the way that he does falls into the narrative of the fact that I don't think he's that mentally strong. And do you think now would be the time, Robbie, to have that differentiation between the different facets of skills as we kind of defined? Yeah. So skill, pure skill as unofficially defined by James Harden in his quote kind of falls into the skills of passing, shooting, basketball IQ, and shot creating. Because shooting and shot creating is the difference between Kyle Korver and like Jamal Crawford. Um, Then we have the natural talents or like the natural skills given to you by genetics, which are like the length, height, speed, Um, defensive prowess, which I equate to tracking and hunting. If we were all still hunter gatherers, defense is a lot of seeing passing lanes and anticipation and just intangible parts that are very hard to teach via skill skill. Um, And then the intangibles, the dog mentality, the mental fortitude with three minutes left down to with the ball. The, um, the ability to bark at your teammates on the court and for them to respond to you positively instead of being piss off, quit yelling at me. Um, just those kind of verbal and nonverbal mental capacity skills. Um, then we have the ones that are like both, a combination of both natural talent and pure skill, which is like you're dunking because dunking, it takes – natural athleticism and stuff, but it takes skill to have practice dunking over somebody or dunking on somebody that's fastest to that. Um, then the next three that are culmination of both are very hard to define as both, but we think they are. Um, the steals, blocks, and rebounds. Um, is, I don't know how you practice making steals other than it's just an intangible skill of yours. Um, you can practice, practice blocking people by playing a lot of basketball. I guess by correlation, you could do that with steals too. And then rebounding um, outside of some extreme outliers, which there's outliers to all three of these categories, but outside of the outliers, you're typically a taller, bigger person if you're a prolific or renowned rebounder. Um, Dwayne Wade's a known rebounder at his position, but he's not even sniffing the top you know, 50 all-time rebounders. So it's just... There's going to be people that don't fall into the categories very cleanly, but we really won't be talking about them as much. A couple will get mentioned, but it it kind of comes down to the main hypothesis of this episode. um, And that's that James Harden shouldn't have said shooting. Um, I mean, shouldn't have said skill. He should have said shooting. Um, It's really hard to say elite level, all-star level players are one or the other or mutually exclusive to either – a skill skill or a natural skill, but there are outliers. And interestingly enough, James Harden and Giannis, I feel like are two outliers where James Harden's pretty much purely skill and Giannis is close to purely talent. So we have a couple players here that we've put into the categories and then a special little bag at the end of players that fill both roles. So, Rowan, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about 
some of your skill players that aren't James Harden's? I feel like we've we, we've beat sure. that already. No, it was funny you mentioned that, Robbie. So when you first pinged me about what we wanted to talk about in this episode, I thought I had the perfect shirt for it. So I'm actually wearing my Nikola Jokic shirt because I think he is really the embodiment of a skilled player that is more a product of the fact that he just knows how to play basketball, but his physical body isn't there. Now, we've seen that he's lost a lot of weight over the last couple of months, but he still has that doughy physique to him. But then when you see the passing that he has, the vision, some of the shot making that he has – the only one I can attribute to, and I hate making this comparison because we were so steadfast in our refusal to make comparisons to any other player, but the shot he had recently against the Clippers reminded me a lot of a Dirk shot where you can't even think to imagine how somebody would come up with the idea to shoot at that particular point, at that particular angle where their body is in line with somewhere nowhere near what we consider to be a good shot, whether it's in the modern times or in the classical times. So I would say Nikolai Jokic is one for me that every time I watch this man play basketball, I'm amazed that he's capable of doing the things that he is. It's very close to 100% correct. I would argue that some of it is natural talent because you can't teach, I guess, you, you can't teach tall. It's one of my favorite sayings in all of sports because it's, you, you can't teach tall. And for the most part, being that big is difficult. So you can teach big. It's called eating a lot. Like it, it happens. <laughs> um, but all of the passing skills and the shooting skills, and he has a lot of the intangibles, maybe not the fortitude, but the ability to see the court clearly with his back turned is a great intangible skill. Um, but just, I want to throw a little bit towards the natural talent only in that one aspect of height, but everything Mm -hmm. else you were 1000% spot on in your analysis of the stretch mark five. Yes. The state buff man. So Robbie, who's your first pick for your category of player, man. So it's Kevin Durant just because, He's the most skilled shooter I have ever seen. When you when you compl- when you mix basketball IQ with a little bit of shot creation and a little bit of shooting, um, that's anecdotal. It's a lot of shooting and a lot of shot creation. Um, you get what Kevin Durant can do, where he took the Dirk turnaround and made it the one footed turnaround made it the one-footed pump fake turnaround, made it the spin move one-foot turnaround, made it the dribble drive crossover pull up. He has no move that is rough. Everything is polished immaculately. Now, my last point, he is also very, very naturally talented in height. So true, but... Kevin Durant is just so prolific and unstoppable as a scorer. Like I would argue if I needed one bucket in my life, I would probably take Kevin Durant out of any other human being just because his IQ and creation abilities make it so no shot is bad. He's going to rise up and it's going to be a good enough look for the 30 hours he put in and just shooting that week to pay off and have him drain the shot. 
I think that's expertly said, Robbie. I think the other hypothesis I kind of had as we were talking about this topic is it's almost a it shows favoritism towards our taller players because when I was looking at this idea of skill versus unskilled, I always attribute people that I consider to be unskilled players to be the players that are just in the league or in a high basketball level because of their height. And you can see that they don't have the hand-eye coordination, they don't have that dog, they don't have the physical or the intangible. And this kind of leads me back to the point where my next pick is Anthony Davis. And what was interesting about Anthony Davis was the fact that he was a point guard up until, I want to say, his sophomore year of high school. And then he had this gigantic growth spurt. And they couldn't help but move him into the post and make a center. And this idea of our bigs handling the ball and creating their shot on their own making is something we've gotten accustomed to. But when I talk to some of my coworkers and some of my older friends, it's still a trip to them to watch somebody like a KD or an AD have the wherewithal to dribble the basketball a couple times and then pull up as opposed to in years past when we just imagined somebody being 6'10 or 6'11, we throw them down on the block, we give them an outlet pass, and then we give them the room to work. And I think it makes basketball a little bit more fun. And it also goes back to the core uh, concepts of basketball that Dr. James Naismith had, where this game is a game built on speed and movement. And there's nothing against throwing the ball down on the block and watching a big man do his or her work. But it is more skill to throw that ball to the big man and then let the big man dictate the terms of offense. They should be able to either power it down, get closer to the hoop and dunk, or they should also have the ability to turn around, take a jumper, or pass the ball out and see what else is open on the perimeter. So what do you think my Anthony Davis call out of being a very skilled player? I can't believe I forgot to include ball handling, but it's definitely a skill skill. And you're 100% right about Anthony Davis. As much as he has height and I'm almost leaning more towards he's a both type player just because he has the intangibles in terms of blocks and positional rebounding and playing defense. But when it comes to the offensive side of the ball, that analysis is spot on because Having him just ha- stand around with his back to the basket is a waste to his talent when he can be on the elbow, faced up, and be an equal threat to shoot it from right there or to put a spin move on and get right in front of the hoop and then dominate you with a dunk or a skill move like a swoop layup or an up and under or a pump fake or any combination of things that takes many hours in the gym to perfect, which by definition would be a learned skill. So it's this tough in modern NBA to say anybody over 6'10 is exclusively one or the other, but Tristan Thompson's 6'10 versus Anthony Davis's 6'10 and what they can do are night and day. So that is a, 
That is the point I wanted to talk to as well, because I think in the case of Thompson, he is what I would consider to be a specialist in years gone by, where I think he's almost a throwback player, where when you and I were having a discussion earlier to kind of get our feelings and thoughts about this topic down, I casually mentioned Dennis Rodman, because that's somebody who I consider to be the specialist of all specialists. He was put on a basketball court to do one thing, and maybe actually I take that back, two things. One is to rebound the ball. The second is to annoy people while he's rebounding the ball. And Thompson's one of those players where those six tens aren't always created equal. I think he is miles below what Anthony Davis's offensive capabilities are, but where he kind of bridges the gap is the defense and the toughness and the rebounding. Which player? Uh, Tristan Thompson. Oh, Thompson. Okay. I mean, yeah. And the Rodman statements were also very correct. We're, there's going to be a lot of specialists that we could include just, we would have a three-hour-long episode if we went over everybody. Um, That's for the Patreon listeners. Please yeah, we'll, subscribe to our Patreon. That'd be fantastic, actually. Please do. Um, it's just going back to the point where specialists in 2020 still are, are expected to do a little more than a specialist in Rodman's time, but doesn't make him any less of a specialist. Just... You made up a point. Who was it? Your dad. Somebody told you the general versus specialist quote. Right. Uh, so there's a book that I was reading recently called Range by David Epstein. And David Epstein's this author that specializes in sports, but also looking at it from a psychological and mental perspective. So the premise of his book Range was around the fact that generalists tend to be better suited for what life has to throw their way when they're older than specialists do. Because generalists are more likely to be more creative. They're more likely to see patterns and recognize connections between things that specialists can't see because they're so laser focused on their one particular skill set. And it's one of those things that when Robbie asked me to make a list of the players that I consider to be very skilled over the course of my NBA watching, I realized that my list was populated with a lot of players that had basketball experience, but they also had some other experience as well. So your Hakeem Olajuwon's, your Steve Nash's, both of those players were remarkable for their time. But I think what also added to their authenticity and their awesomeness, lack of a better term, was the fact that they were soccer players and they were able to apply a skill set from a completely different sport that the competitors that often guard them didn't have that in their toolbox so to speak so they weren't able to recognize some of the soccer moves that both of those players put on so that was my whole thought of specialist versus generalist because i think this skill conversation we're having can go in myriad of different ways and for me because i was reading this book and this concept is still fresh in my mind i thought it was interesting to approach it that way and that's probably what shaped my list as opposed to robbie who can tell you a little bit more about how he came to the conclusions of his list And the reason why I brought up that quote you told me earlier was because the generalist is what makes players all-stars versus specialists who are just going to come in and rebound or dunk the ball. So keep in mind that pretty much everybody here is going to be a generalist with elite level specialties. Specialties? No. Specialities. How about that? I'm like, man, I know I'm so close to the word if my brain isn't thinking it. No, I think uh, I just made up the word too. I think specialty is correct, right? Their specialty skills or anyway, this is in a semantics broadcast and English isn't my first language. So bear with me, guys. 
with like specialty like danishes so why not have specialty skills uh, so yeah i mean everybody's just going to be a generalist by base with at least like arbitrary number five different elite level special you know, special traits special uh, traits so you brought up steve nash and that's a big one i have here underneath skills because he was not blessed with the height, length, speed, defensive, athleticism, talents. But the soccer background really, really did change how he saw a basketball court and how he imagined a basketball moving on the basketball court. You think pass. You think point A to B for a chest pass, point A, B, C for a bounce pass, etc. But Steve Nash... And he wasn't the first guy to do this, but popularized and normalized the hook pass. I always feel like some of the pass, he put special English on it to have it curve around a defender to hit Amari Stoudemire in the chest off the bounce. Like Steve Nash used skills from other sport along with his own basketball skills to do something that I've still never seen a player do. I mean, Steph Curry is fantastic. Magic Johnson is fantastic. Steve Nash was a smaller version of those two players' greatest skills being passing and shooting mixed together. Just he, he I really wish Steve Nash was like was born five years after he was or something, just so he could really be he could have really flourished a little more in more of a modern type game where he would have had more of a green light to pull up and shoot. Like imagine imagine Steve Nash playing now with a complete green light. He wouldn't just jack it up to shoot because that's not the kind of player he is. He's a general. But he was so elite and it gets swept underneath the rug very, very often because we want to fixate on the misplaced in MVPs and the passing. But Steve Nash could shoot from all three phases. And he, I think he top three free throw percentage. There's something stupid. Like any shooting skill he perfected, with time and effort and any passing skill, the same. So he's like a pure skilled powerhouse in my book. No, I think that's expertly said, Robbie. For me, he was kind of in that first wave of the 50-40-90 club that we hear so much about. And to your point of, he was able to get perfect layups. It never seemed to miss a shot whenever he came inside the three-point uh, range. And then also, he was a, he was a marksman. He was able to hit that three when he needed to. And I always thought it was interesting that come playoff time, you would always see the greater teams that Phoenix would play, dare Nash to beat them with his shot making as opposed to his passing. Because he, I would also make the argument, was the one point guard that I remember watching. And granted, my window is probably a lot smaller than some of our listeners, where he amplified his talent around him in a much larger scale than any other point guard that I can remember. And the other person I think that did that a lot was actually Jason Kidd, especially in those first two New Jersey years. Mm -hmm. I think what was different about Nash, and correct me if I'm wrong, Robbie, was the fact that he had shooters and athletes, whereas Jay Kidd just had athletes. So he would throw a lob to Kenyon Martin. He would throw a lob to Richard Jefferson. Kerry Kittles, when he was available, would catch a couple of lobs as well. They were essentially Lob City, or they were the Lob City we thought we would have gotten with Blake Griffin and CP3. Nash just had shooters around him. So you could see a different variety of pass being displayed. 
And I really hope now that you've kind of talked about the subject in that in the summer, when we're kind of in the dead months of our podcast, we should do just an all passer appreciation show, because I think that's something that's going to open a lot of people's eyes to what makes a great passer. Because the other thing that I would argue that makes a passer elite is their ability to not only spot the pass, but have the wherewithal to use the English that you mentioned, Robbie, or place it in the right place. So that way, when the receiver of the pass gets the ball, they don't have to do anything other than just put the ball up. Because I've played basketball, Robbie, you've played basketball, you've thrown passes, you've received passes. And the best point guards that I've always played with were the ones that gave me the ball that as soon as I got the ball, I was naturally in my shooting motion as opposed to the ones where I may have to reel a pass in that may have gone over my head, bring the ball back to my starting location, then start the process of my shot. And I thought Nash did a better job of that than any other player where his passes were truly on the mark always. It's the difference between hitting a wide receiver and the numbers with momentum going forward versus back and low where he has to stop and reach the opposite direction. And Steve Nash and Jason Kidd, they're both in my skill, so I'll just skip over Jason Kidd. But Steve Nash was a better shooter than Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd was more physical and yeah. a million times better on defense. So there's pluses and minuses to both of their games. But Jason Kidd really toes that line between exclusively skill skill and talent skill because the intangibles and the height no excuse me not height the intangibles and the defense of jason kidd um really you can't teach what jason kidd was doing it's just with beautiful basketball like the beautiful sport you know beautiful motion whatever this jason kidd and this paved the way for steve nash to then come and kick it up a notch a little bit. Absolutely. And one other player, Robbie, that you had mentioned where I would love to get your take on your classification of him is Steph Curry, because I think whereas Steve Nash kind of evolved what we saw from Jason Kidd in terms of running this up and down system where he's constantly looking for the open man, whether they're at the three or at the rim, Steph took those principles in terms of a passer, but he had his shooting amplified in a way that we've never seen before. And one thing that I really appreciate about Steph is the fact that for all of his greatness, I still think his handle gets underappreciated more than anything. Because I had this discussion with a buddy of mine at a barbershop, and he was singing the praises of Kyrie Irving and how he thought Kyrie had the better handle. And I said, you're probably right, but for me, Steph has the better handle because it's a bridge to his other elite skill set, which is his shot making and his range, ironically. So how do you classify Steph based on your classification system? There is no effort lost from Steph Curry going from a dribble motion to a shooting motion. And you bringing that up, maybe made me remember that. I forgot about it for a minute. But what it comes down to in Steph Curry, you could probably sum it up with one thought. You don't accidentally learn you don't accidentally start making shots consistently from the logo. <laughs> like that's not something you're just like, Oh, I'm going to try this today. Like, you know, I have three range. I'm just going to try it, you know, three feet back from my traditional placement on the court. That's not a thing. So Steph Curry is so skilled that he fucks up the gravitational pull of the basketball court. And 
it's my favorite it's my favorite skill of him of his is his ability to just shift the dynamics of where defense has to start but Steph Curry is not and this is where it's a little awkward because I want to say he's not as good as Kevin Durant when it comes to scoring but just shooting the rock there's there's nobody better and every three-point record kind of backs that (laughs) i mean he i made the point last week and i'll say it again he's the one player that i will have the most fun telling my grandkids about that i got to watch and that's saying something because you and i both got to see kobe in his prime we got to see lebron in his prime we saw Shaq in the tail end of his prime in a sense but the joy that he plays with is something that for me as a basketball fan, I always appreciate and I always hold to a higher standard. But that comparison you made with KD especially, I think KD was getting there as a passer. And he's not going to be the passer that Steph is, but the oh shit moment when you realize that KD was probably the third best passer on that team, and that kind of breaks my heart as a fan of the league. But I know you, a Laker fan, you probably appreciate the fact that we had the basketball Beatles that broke up with the Golden State Warriors. But my God, KD is something that, or rather someone, I feel we've kind of forgotten about. And I really hope that he comes back 100% next year because his skill set is truly something that is one in a million. He will remind us all emphatically, like. Yeah, he will definitely let all of us know where where he stands in the NBA hierarchy, which is top three player. Just Steph doesn't have the height to finish in like the mid. I mean, that's what's tough because I've seen Steph finish a million times in the mid range and finish creatively at the hoop. Just it's under the hoop instead of above the hoop. Like Katie has the option of hitting, so it's it's difficult to make distinctions between the two but if you watch them both play you can see for your own two eyes that there's a difference um speaking of differences i'm gonna use this next guy to pivot into the purely like god-given talents or gifts skills if you will and it's a comparison between the pure skill player one of the other greatest shooters of all time reggie miller and the gifted player Ray Allen, because Ray Allen in his youth was exceptionally quick, bouncy, um, always had, I mean, he killed it at UConn. He had all the intangible skills. Um, He could yam it on you very easily. And he had the elite shooting. So you have somebody who's just a shooter versus somebody who is just a shooter with a lot of God-given talent, which Kevin Durant technically is too. But just thinking about how closely related we typically play. I mean, we like to marry Reggie Miller and Ray Allen in the history books of basketball. So I thought that was a good little pivot to go from purely skill skill to maybe a mixture of both and just the natural talent. Absolutely. No, I was going to say I really like the Ray Allen call out. I think – it's one of those lost tragedies of basketball where we forget how much of a varied scorer Ray Allen was. 
because especially tail end Ray Allen, meaning from Boston on uh, from Boston to the end of his career, he was looked at as a traditional knockdown shooter. But we forget this man was in a dunk contest once. He had the athleticism to beat you a number of different ways. And the Ray Allen, Reggie Miller comparison is always there because I think there was a very famous TNT game where I believe Reggie Miller was calling it and Ray Allen broke the sh- broke Reggie's record and they stopped the game and Reggie and Ray had a nice embrace at half court. So those are two players that I think will be forever entwined because of the fact that they have this one common skill set. But I think Ray Allen loses some of his true appeal because of the fact that we just typecast him as a shooter as his career went on when he had so much more at his beck and call when he was first in the league in terms of another physical player this one just popped in my head as you were talking i feel dwight howard is one especially orlando magic dwight howard where he was just this muscle mountain and he rebounded really well but his one defining thing was the fact that he was able to get any rebound that his shooters missed What do you think about that, Robbie? I think, so are you saying Dwight's purely like natural skill? Yes, I would say that. 100%. Did I jump? Mm -hmm. I mean, I 100% agree. He doesn't have, I mean, it was well documented. He's a 50% free throw shooter. You do not want him taking a three, though he's made a couple this season in garbage time for the Lakers. Um, But that's not what you're paying him for. And that's not what you would ever see younger prime Dwight Howard do Dwight is a pure physical specimen. I've never seen a man with like literal bowling balls for shoulders. You know what I'm talking about? Young Dwight. Absolutely. So big and cut up. And I'm sure he worked out a lot to maintain that physique, but it looked like he, he looked like a Greek God. The ones that you see in those textbook pictures of Italian museums, Mm -hmm. He looked like he was chiseled from granite. It's the same narrative that you kind of said, Robbie. He was the first person that in uh, that when I saw him live, I had to take a step back and realize, is this person really the same species as I am? Because as I'm killing these Taco Bell quesadillas left and right, this man has perfected his craft to such a level that he is the modern epitome of athletic performance. Mm-hmm. And prolific rebounder an all-time great defender at his position. We forget that Dwight from the 2000, I mean, there was a 10-year period where he was a five-time All-NBA first team selection. I want to say it was like 2005 to 15, something like that. Yeah, I think it was five to 15. Um, I'll look it up. But just Dwight fully embodies the, I was given these skills and I'm going to translate them into being the fastest big man, the longest big man, the bounciest, and the guy that's just going to keep you from getting rebounds because I'm that much more physically dominant than you. And it pissed off the Shacks of the world who, you know, always thought Dwight wasn't Superman and was soft and is too happy-go-lucky. But that's also in his nature, and that's Dwight's intangible to just have fun with the game. There's a difference between playing with Kobe Bryant, who's going to be really angry if they're down 25, or a Dwight Howard who's going to be like, okay, guys, we can do this, or to kind of be happy still because you're you're going to be more loose. You're going to be not feeling threatened by your star that you're not performing, and maybe that will turn the tide for your personal performance on the court. Who knows? But just Dwight 
this his ray of sunshine mentality um, gets shitted on a lot, but there's definitely positives to it. And I think that's an intangible of his in which positivity is very, very useful. Yeah, Robbie, I think Dwight Howard is very positive, almost bordering on aloof. And this kind of goes down to a tangent you had mentioned earlier about a leadership style of somebody that's barking at his teammates always like, hey, pick your shit up. We're down 10. We cannot be this way. One intangible that I can think of is the type of player that knows when to push his team and when to pull his team. And I don't want to besmirch the late, great Kobe Bryant. I always thought that one thing he could have done slightly better was picking his moments a little bit more. But then when you look at Kobe as a player on a whole, he was never known to really pick his moments because he always made his moment at any time. So just an interesting tidbit I have kind of looking at Mr. Howard. So who's next on your list, Robbie? For just, I mean, Giannis, but we've already talked about Giannis. Um, I would argue, and you brought up Kevin Garnett being more of a skill. Kevin Garnett, I would say, is a natural talent. Sure, he helped usher in the big man shooting from the mid-range and being more engaged on the offensive end. But you can't teach tall, fast, and long. Um, Kevin Garnett was all three of those things for a very long time. I mean, I mean, I mean, he's always been tall, but he slowed down a bit in the Celtic years. But just young, t- eighteen to twenty-four-year-old Kevin Garnett was a seven-foot gazelle. He was almost Giannis before Giannis in a sense, because we never saw that combination of skill, poise, and grace mixed with intensity. That's very, very correct. That's actually a great comparison I never really thought of, but he definitely is like the forerunner of Giannis. But Kevin Garnett will always be defined for defense and shit talking. It's just, it's well documented. We all know what Kevin Garnett said. Um, And those are two intangible skills that are missing. Like I said earlier, the buddy, buddy nature of the NBA now that's missing in today's game. Um, People don't want to defend the same way. People don't want to be in your face. People don't want to be confrontational. And Kevin Garnett used those psychological tools to his advantage night in and night out. He would block your crap, yell emphatically, beat his chest, go on the other end, shimmy shake you you from the elbow, and then talk about how he shimmy shook you. And some very explicit words. And that would just no, was, break you down. Exactly, Robbie. The thing I was going to tell some of our younger listeners who may be prone to sensitive language because KG was known to drop a few F-bombs in his day. If you can, look up the Fun Police campaign from Nike. Just that intensity, but also the joy of letting you know, hey, you know that shot you put up? That was weak as hell. And now I'm going to throw that all the way back down to Gresham. Sorry for the local reference. We're both in Portland. But there is something that not only is debilitating as somebody playing against that, when you put up a shot, you see it getting swatted away like it's nothing. But we can't also ignore the impact that that has on a crowd. Because KG, more than anybody, would fire up the crowd in a way with just something as simple as a strong pick or an emphatic rebound. And watching Zion play against your Lakers, Robbie, he had that one rebound where 
It seemed like the entire Staples Center held their breath collectively and they let out just an audible, when he came down with that rebound, outstretched from, I think, was it over Howard or JaVel McGee? Remind me on that if you can. It was Dwight. Oh, it was Dwight. So, I mean, in a way, it was almost a passing of the torch, right? Because I had two more players that I really wanted to get your take on your system because you're the originator of this. Robbie, what do you make of Zion and what do you make of Kawhi Leonard? Oof. So before we pivot to that, just one last thought on Kevin Garnett. Yes. And it's important in all facets of life. It's a big intangible that you're either born with or you're not. It's communication. Kevin Garnett was a defensive orchestrator. Yeah, maestro. Maestro. And LeBron is another great communicator on the court. But just I I want to bring up communication because that's – one of the biggest points of Kevin Garnett's greatness is, is his ability to, sh- to see things and shout them out. <laughs> um, but Zion, I would say Zion is purely, I hate saying God given, but it's just the phrase I need to use this God given talent, like to be six, eight and to jump over seven foot to white Howard, who's also bouncy. It, it, it was an amazing slow motion video to watch, but Zion's brute-like build, you, you you can't teach. You can, like I said, you can teach fat. You can you can make somebody bigger, but you can't mix that bulk with the speed and athleticism like he does. I think of Bo Jackson, where Bo Jackson is bigger than everybody else, but still fast. Um, Zion's bigger than everybody else in that same quickness is in the fuel tank like he just has an extra gear where he goes from almost a hobbled semi jog to full sprint jumping over you with no interruption so i would definitely say zion is a natural god-given talent and Kawhi, up until he was the number one option in san antonio was purely natural skill with his big hands, arm length, um, again, to speed and length, but he's taught himself to be an elite shooter and an elite score. He can make shots off the dribble very effectively. He can make the corner three top of the key three. He's expanded that corner three game where that was his initial specialty in the NBA to being a deadly option from all around the arc. So, Modern day Kawhi, I would say, is a pure mixture of the two, but his fundamental game was predicated off his enormous hands for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, I think your breakdown of Kawhi's career is interesting because coming into San Antonio, he was looked at as the potential of being a great 3D guy, but the three wasn't there. And I know kind of reading up about Chip England, the legendary San Antonio Spurs coach who made every Spur that joined that team into a moderate to above average shooter. Kawhi is his masterpiece. And Kawhi is this force that is the closest thing that I can think of that reminds me of the tail end of Jordan in terms of He's going to pick his shot. He's going to get to the spot before you can, or you might even get there first. He's just going to muscle you, and he just has that perfect mixture. And I think that is something that 
is the culmination of the Robbie system. Robbie, I'm just going to credit you for coming up with this skill classification system. So come up with a better name or better yet, maybe we can solicit the readers to give us a better name for your system. But I think you are the new designated skill keeper of all NBA players. I'm trying to think of a cool name on the fly and it'll come to me later. But um, Kawhi really did have to learn all of that. And that's, again, just the definition of learned skill. Um, a lot of repetition. Russell Westbrook is another purely gifted athlete. I mean, Russell Westbrook's I would borderline say he's more of an athlete. I mean, that's unfair to Russell Westbrook. So I almost don't want to say that, but he's so athletic and his never stop, never surrender mentality mixed with his speed and quickness and just speedy Gonzalez type movement is really just natural. He can't shoot a lick. He's 29% or like he's sub 30 from three. He can make the occasional, you know, mid range jumper, but Russell Westbrook is at his best, not completely thinking, just going off of instinct, running up the court and making something happen. He really is the opposite of James Harden in a sense. And I liked your Speedy uh, Gonzalez comparison, but I'm going to one-up you with the Looney Tunes bit and say, isn't he the Tasmanian devil at this point where he's just all speed, fury, and anger? And yeah. So the thing that's interesting, and I'll gladly take my L on this because in episodes past, I didn't really think the Houston situation would have worked out for Russell. But now we can see that their transition to being an exclusively small ball team has benefited Russell more than any other player because now Russell is kind of the pseudo Clint Capella dunker spot where he's constantly just running to the rim and finding shooters. And it's an interesting change of pace considering how James Harden plays. And they're the team that I'm really most intrigued to see how does everything fall into play for the playoffs because Right now, they're kind of running away with a lot of the games they've been playing, but how does that team cope with the constant attention? Because in the NBA, you're likely to play three teams over the course of a week. So how do you allocate your valuable time and resources to coach up different capabilities that you know each team that you play possess? Once the playoffs come, obviously that gets shrunken down to just one team. So I'm going to be really intrigued to see, will Russell Westbrook have yet another playoff heartbreak? Because he doesn't seem to be the type of player that we associate with that, but he's had some low key disappointing postseason runs. In fact, I would make the argument he's only second to James Harden in that regard. That's correct. And it's unfair because basketball, is a t- I, I never like holding championship rings over people's heads unless they talk crap about the Lakers and it's easy to do. But those two men, until it changes, that's going to be their narrative. And it just, it, it is what it is. Um, we have, just for time purposes here, our mixture of both. So both skilled, skilled, and naturally skilled players. Um, I think the most easily recognizable ones in my book are Magic, LeBron, and Dirk. Each of them mixed two or more skills 
in ways that we didn't think possible or had never seen before. Magic being height and so like physical height um, and this stature. He's a bigger guy uh, mixed with the passing. We had never seen a point guard that big. LeBron mixing the IQ with the Mack truck like build and Dirk mixing the shooting prowess with the traditional big man formula. Cause Dirk for as much as we like to say he was the great shooter. He also did have a really good post game. He was very effective close to the hoop, but no, it's exactly that. I mean, prior to him winning the title, he was kind of looked at as this unicorn. Was he the first unicorn that you can think of Robbie, where we just didn't expect a seven footer, regardless where he's from to have the skill set that he displayed. And then it got to the point where we wish he was more of a traditional seven footer. And that's something we often forget that when it came down to it, Dirk could get you a bucket down low. It's just, we just remember all of his big moments being the, at the time, rather the pull up three or shooting further and further away from the basket. I think not seven feet tall, but this magic was the first person in basketball to make you rethink what you thought his position looked like. There's, there's, yes. there's never been a six, seven point guard. It's straight up. It doesn't happen didn't happen at that point now it does um we have the lucas of the world but um magic just really flipped what he was expected to do on its head and that's why we remember Dirk's shooting so much because it was an anomaly and our brain had to process it and once it was processed it was like oh that's just the dirk or a dirk-like player or um, dirk-like skill set and just Dirk became more of a basketball adjective. He's dirking it, you know, than working mm-hmm. it. That's kind of funny. Um, just this purely unique. And that's why I love LeBron so much and why I will forever put LeBron over Michael is just because LeBron mixes so many more things into his ingredients to make a dish unlike any other. Michael Jordan's the best American hamburger and fries you've ever had. Like literally the best 10 ingredient thing you've ever had. But LeBron's the best gumbo you've ever had, where it's not a taste for everybody, but the complexity and depth and culmination of the flavors make something that are unique and un... I mean, you just can't duplicate it. There's only one. There's only one LeBron. There's only one LeBron James, and in this case, there's only one Gumbo. And I can't wait to see that Jordan documentary that comes out this year because that's one of the things that I feel that I'm most isolated in in terms of my particular take on Jordan. I think Jordan is probably the greatest winner we've seen in basketball, but that doesn't necessarily make him the best player we've seen. Because I think if we just looked at it from a pure skill set perspective, I think LeBron is inherently more skilled than Jordan ever ever was. And if you want to at me, it's at rohitm13 on Instagram and at rohizi on Twitter. I'd love to have the discussion with a lot of folks, but I'm totally behind you with this one, uh, Robbie. I almost called you LeBron. I could only be so lucky. Um, but just... I'm, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think, do I bring up Draymond? I, I like this Draymond in the basketball landscape. 
I think Draymond um, is a very interesting player. And if you need a moment to collect your thoughts, I can kind of glamp while you figure out how you want to approach what I say. So Draymond to me is one of those players that his intangibles have caused caused him to be an elite player because that mentality, that viciousness, that killer instinct, and the fact that he can never turn off. It's a quality we talked a little bit about with Russell Westbrook. It's a quality that Kobe had where every bucket matters. And unfortunately, it drives them to a perfect combination of madness and a pursuit of perfection. And it may be the most aggravating thing to play with as a teammate. But then when you reap the benefits of that, which include multiple championships and all this accolade, it makes sense. But he, and he in this case being Draymond Green, is almost a pedestrian NBA player in terms of just his physical characteristics. He's not overtly fast. He's not overtly big. He's not overtly wide. His shooting isn't what it needs to be. But he's really found a way to invigorate everybody around him. So he's got a little bit of KG as well in the fact that he can invigorate a crowd by setting a tone via a pick, getting a board. So if I sound like a broken record, it's because I almost think that Draymond Green is the shorter Kevin Garant. Uh, Ke- Kevin Garant, wow. Uh, Draymond Green is the shorter Kevin Garnett. That's a very good way of describing Draymond Green to somebody 10 years from now who's never seen him. He is pure skill plus intangible. So like the intangible is what makes him great. Like that's his natural talent, but all the other natural talents are lacking and that's okay. Just, I think it's so interesting just to be so skilled yet unskilled at the same time. He's, a pure anomaly. He's skilled and, at being unskilled is what I got out of that, Robbie. And he's a multiple time all-star and a multiple time defensive player of the year. First multiple time champion. So it's like, you can't discredit him, but um, it's hard to find one specific thing to credit him with. Thanks everybody. And have a good rest of your day. Bye guys. Hey everyone, this is Nick again. Before you take off, I wanted to ask a couple favors of you. If you're interested in more content from the Sneaker History crew, become a member of our Patreon page where we post daily content, drop exclusive episodes, and host monthly giveaways. We'll even help you hunt for your grails. Check us out at patreon.com slash sneakerhistory. Also, make sure you sign up for our email newsletter at sneakerhistory.com slash email. We send out weekly updates on the footwear business and what we're working on here at Sneaker History. Last but not least, take a second to tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how much it means to someone, and it might even plant the seeds for something even bigger. As always, we appreciate you, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.